welcome to the Valiant Central Podcast. Me again, Martin, by my lonesome. That's okay. Because today is a very special episode. Joining me on this episode of the podcast is the one, the only, Dan Abnett. Holy crap, I can't believe I'm saying that. Uh, I'm super excited. I had a great time chatting with Dan. He is not just brilliant, but a really genuine person and i love the energy so i'm not gonna do any more introductions i'm just gonna go ahead and play the uh play the interview i hope you enjoy it pick up rye that's already out oh my god so good we will be talking about that probably next week when the three of us get back together but without further ado dan admit folks i appreciate nice shirt thank you <laughs> that is a great shirt you know dread's one of my favorites i i'm a I'm a regular contributor to 2000 AD, and uh, uh, I've been writing for them for, gosh, 27 years now. And uh, 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 and so I get sent T-shirts, and this happens to be the one that came out of the wash today. So uh, one of my co-hosts on the show is in California, so it's about 8 in the morning. He's like, there's no way I can make it in the morning, man. But make sure you tell Dan that I've been reading his 2000 AD stuff my entire life. <laughs> <laughs> Well, say hi to him for me. I, I sure will. I sure will. He's going to be excited. Uh, thank you for coming on, though. It's it's a real – I mean, let me tell you. I've had a lot of guys uh, from Valiant come on the podcast and chat. Um, you know, I, I got a chance to talk to Paul Levitz recently because he's been doing some Valiant work as well, and that was a treat. But never in my life did I expect that I would be talking to Dan Abnett. So <laughs> you, take that however you want to take it. It's it's a real treat for me. Thank you. Um, I, I've been reading your your stuff for God forever. Um, th- th- it might sound weird, but I love Death's Head, and it's wow, hi- yeah. highly underutilized. Uh, yeah. I love your stuff, uh, the Annihilation Conquest stuff. I mean, your your sci-fi stuff is just top notch. Thank and, you very and much. And it, it it just so happens to be my favorite genre, so uh, it, it's a real treat for me. I I appreciate you coming on. My absolute pleasure. Uh, let's uh, let's talk Rye. I, sure. I kind of know a little bit of the the origin story of how you got involved, so we're not going to go into that. Um, but I, but I'm curious if you could speak a little bit to the the direction that you chose to take this world in, because uh, it's not really just about Rye. It's, it's not, I mean, not. yeah, you're in charge of building an entire future universe, so that <laughs> must be exciting for you. As as someone that's so deeply entrenched in in sci-fi world building, so how, how's that experience been? Uh, I, I have to say it's been it's been fantastic, and it's one of the. Well, to be honest, it, it was an extremely when it, the job was offered to me, it was an extremely appealing job in the first place. But one of the big appeals was the world building aspect. I, I, I over the years, one way or another, it's, I've discovered it's the thing that I really love doing the most. Whether it's you know sort of trying to build out the Marvel cosmic or or, or, or DC cosmic under that or. Aquaman's Atlantean realm or, um, uh, you know, the Warhammer universe, which I've spent a lot of time in as well. You know, the, that idea of trying to build up some kind of um, not just a texture that feels right, but a kind of, to the best of my abilities, an authentic texture uh, where, where you're as interested in the place um, as you are anything else. Not not at the expense of the characters, but to just to just to, to, to give them a context that is is as exciting and interesting as as uh, as it can possibly be, and and maybe brings out the best in them, brings out their their qualities and their strengths. Um, so so yes, it, the 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 um, the big question I suppose when when Lisa asked me to do it was was you know sort of oh, 
not so much what can I put in, but what can't I put in, in as much as, you know, the, 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 there was so much possibility. Um, so it was a matter of, 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 in the early issues, trying to show the sheer diversity of what was possible. The, uh, the the range of stuff the, um, the 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 you know the sort of bizarre mix of high tech and low tech and um, and and sort of very sort of uh, primitive and 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 sort of um, neolithic and 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 that, all, all those sorts of different bits and pieces melded together into a into a into a world uh, that hadn't been explored fully before even though there'd been a great run on Rye prior yeah. to it was that was that was more about New Japan. That was more about the orbitals. That was more about the high tech side of things. And we felt that we had a world that was unlocked. That was that was kind of a of a world um, uh, a world that had rewilded. Um, <laughs> that had, that had, that had suffered various catastrophes and had been left alone and had regrown in all sorts of interesting ways, including technologically. The sort of the idea of of not only life finding a way, but artificial life finding a way in its own its own own own. Uh, own way as well, and so so we realised we had this extraordinary um, uh, variety uh, to, to the point where where almost almost anything is possible. So what I had to try and pick and choose, and I hope I did a, did it wisely, was to pick and choose things that were incredible yet credible that yeah. that, that made you believe that this world could possibly exist and wasn't just some kind of complete sort of hallucinogenic trance of. of, of <laughs> um, and try and fold into that a sense of uh, territory and politics that there were different factions and they had different things that were different agendas that, that that were important to them. Obviously, we've got the survivors coming down from New Japan who are thrust into a world that they're not really very keen to be in. Uh, they're deprived of the sort of um, the nurturing uh, artificial, high technological sort of womb that's looked after them for so long. So they're also, as it were, bringing contamination as, as well with them. They're bringing technological contaminations of their own. Yeah. Um, and to try and do that. So, 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 yeah, going back to your original question, the, the, the story, the story is so simple. The story is a quest. Yeah. Uh, Rise quest, Rise quest to, to, to eradicate a, a, an evil threat accompanied by Rajin as his sort of uh, both his angel and his devil on his shoulder. It's incredibly simple. And I wanted to keep the simplicity and the drama of that um, very pure because it was an opportunity then to 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 run that story through this extraordinary wilderness uh, of a place. So we got to know it better. And I think that's 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 been my objective all along. And um and thankfully, I was coupled with an artist who could who could just deliver oh, that. Man. Yeah, I mean, deliver that in the most extraordinary way. Um, and 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 for that, I'm enormously grateful. I'm sure whoever had drawn the book, they would have been incredibly talented, and and it would have been a great looking book and a great read and everything like that. But but uh, Shuanjo has just brought um, a sense of detail to the images that I think reinforce things. So there are certain things. I wrote the first couple of issues not knowing what it would look like. And there were certain things that I was thinking, well, that will either work as a nice idea that you then forget within a panel or two, or it will just be a pivotal thing that establishes something about this world that you won't forget. And the moment I saw his art, I went, it's the latter. He's, he, you know, every little last little thing that we put in there leaves its mark. It's the, the same way. I, I think he, he's, he's done for this world the same way that the, you know, the sort of first half an hour of the original star Wars movie did where, where it wasn't just what you saw. It was, it was the fact that some of it was lived in and old and worn and 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 wasn't necessarily explained, but but it but it gave you a sense of a place, and you sort of knew where you were and you wanted to know more about it. And that was that was a that was that was what I was hoping we'd get, and that's what <laughs> delivered in 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 a, in, a, in a massive way. Yeah, Rip's got a a really cool style. I, I followed his stuff since he was at Avatar, 
and yeah. and there's something about like the 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 aesthetic of European artists that is very different from the way that art is done here in America, and I think it works really well with the story that you're telling here because in many ways it reminds me of stuff like Dread and Rogue Trooper and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and and yeah, the, the I, trope I, really I, works well. Yeah, I, I would I would sort of say that as a compliment. I mean, I, I, I love writing comics. I love writing full stop. I like, write a lot of novels. I write a lot of comics. And I, every, every job has got its, its own pleasures and delights. And I, I, I love working in the American mainstream because I admire the American uh, comic book so much that it's something. It's a form that I, that I sort of strive to do my best in when every time I write it. But but quite often I find that the, um, the kind of uh, the, the big universes one might work in uh, you are very much constrained by kind of house rules. This is the way we do things. Mm-hmm. So this is the sort of, you know, you need to learn how we tell a story and tell it that way, which is fine, absolutely fine, and it works brilliantly. But when I come to write something for, for say, 2000 AD, uh, there, is a, there is a kind of uh, inspirational freedom where they're actually actively encouraging you, to, encouraging you to think of something that hasn't been done before because that's the lifeblood of 2000 AD. It's that, it is that kind of uh, quirky, punk, um, uh, SF aesthetic that where 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 you're you're trying to be just just left field all the time yeah. and, and and I and that's why I love writing every time I got a script to write two thousand eight I get excited because because it's tapping into that that sort of uh, you know what can we do next and and Rye for Valiant was was one of the first times in an American comic book where I've felt the same kind of joy it, I'm channeling the same kind of energies that I do when I'm writing. I don't know, Sinister Dexter or, or, or Kingdom or something for 2000 AD. It's the same kind of uh, uh, of craziness. And it's a restrained craziness. It's not just like you know, sort of splurging out on the page whatever idea I have. But it's a matter of thinking, wh- where can you go? Where is tangential? Where is where is uh, offbeat and unexpected but delightful? Uh, and, and then you can deliver that and not worry that you're going to break break a 80-year-old universe. You know what I mean? It, it, yeah, it, yeah. So, so there, there is a certain measure of that with with Rye because obviously I'm very mindful of the fact that this has got to be, got to have clear um, connective tissue to the present day Valiant universe, which is a brilliantly invented setting, uh, and it's got to be a clear extension of that. So there are there are sort of lots of invisible rules that I'm trying to obey, and 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 and, and things that I'm trying to acknowledge. Um, but at the same time, it's like, yeah, well, the gloves are off. We can we can we can be fully engage our imaginations fully and see what we can come up with i'm curious how the experience for you working with valiant is now uh compared to say i mean maybe it was a bad time to be honest but when you did your shadow man stuff uh during the the later acclaim era uh, how the how the feel of the company is different for you uh i think it's i i think it's altogether more uh uh sort of more encouraging there is a greater spirit of striving to push past and beyond and into new areas and invent new things and be 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 uh be uh be explorative i think uh which is great there is there is a very high degree of professionalism at valiant which i admire enormously the fact that this is one of the few american books that i've ever written months in advance and had got books in the drawer and not been chasing a deadline every <laughs> issue is the usual sort of treadmill that you get into but i think i think one of the clear things to me that that has remained the same in terms of a core value is that valiant to me has always prioritized storytelling you know really good dramatic character driven storytelling uh that is that you can have enormous drama in a in the turn of a character uh that it doesn't rely on something huge and explosive 
to happen for it to be dramatic. But they've remembered that the, the, the most dramatic stories are the ones that happen, I guess, in our hearts and our emotions. Um, so it doesn't it doesn't have to be literally a cliffhanger every issue. It needs to have that kind of emotional cliffhanger. And that was true back in the day when I was working on Ninjak and, and Shadow Man. But it was it was very much about about sort of remembering the character and being honest with the storytelling in a way that wasn't overly flashy it was more about the core of the good story mm-hmm. and that has retained to the present day and i think that's one of valiant's great values uh, it, it is it is it is it prioritizes that storytelling in a in a, in a way that is uncommon um but but yes then then, then, then to support that by going uh, uh imagine in this day and age any any professional being being rung up by a uh, an editor who says here is a box full of some really cool stuff from a <laughs> Play with them and do what you want. I mean, that's sort of amazing. That's an amazing degree of license to to have creatively, and and uh, uh, um, uh, and, and I think it's that's sort of the, the thing that I've enjoyed enjoyed very much with it. You know, one of my my favorite things about the the run that you've had so far, and I, I did reissue six, uh, so this will be out uh, the day after that issue comes out, so we can talk about it a little bit. Sure. But one of the things that I really enjoy is the way that you've structured the story. Because uh, I think there's been so much focus on just writing, uh, you know, a four issue arc or a five issue arc to release in a trade, uh, that I think sometimes people forget the the way that comics used to be, and yeah. and through much of this run, I mean, you, I think issue four and five were tied together, um, yeah. but but really like every issue is its own vignette, and and I really enjoy that, you know, it's like it's like watching an old like an old Star Trek episode. Where like you have your monster of the week, and then that issue gets resolved, and then you go to the next thing. Yeah. Uh, people talk all the time about you know making making every comic approachable to a new reader, right? And yeah. and as someone that's been reading comics for my entire life, it uh, it gets a little tiring sometimes because you have to bring in so much background every single issue, and like okay, like that's cool, but when can we get to the story? And yeah. and you haven't had that here. And what I really appreciate is that not only do you have these vignettes, but you really don't need to know anything about Rai. I mean, you can place any character in the place of Rai and Raijin and follow them through these adventures in this crazy, wacky world. And so as a reader, you, you find yourself learning about the place and the characters without needing to know anything about any other Valiant book or even the stuff that Matt Kent did, for example, with Rai. Yeah. Yeah, uh, that, and that was that was very deliberate. And I, I credit where credit's due, Lisa, the, my editor, was the one who suggested that we did the, the, certainly the first five issues almost as standalone issues uh, because it allowed us to, to, to get sort of four or five um, uh, shots at showing different aspects of the world. That was that was the whole idea. Is like let, let's do these sort of done done in one. You said Star Trek episode. That's exactly how I think of them. Is that this is just this week's story, and and, and we will we will show you another piece of the world and you will so that by the end of five issues you've got a quite a good idea of the sort of things you might encounter and mm-hmm. then in issue six obviously we, we, we're showing showing more of that again uh, so cre- credit to her for for requesting that it's uh, and also but it also ties it I, I i wasn't remotely resistant to that because i am of an age where i you know the, the sort of periodical comic books uh is what i grew up reading i am used to waiting for the next installment i'm used to the yeah that, that, I mean, I was trained in the early days when I when I was back on staff in uh, Marvel UK in the in the God Help Us eighties, um, <laughs> uh, learning about the way comics worked and all the all the basic rules that were being taught to us by by the likes of uh, Jim Shooter and, and Mark Grunwald. Um, it, it was 
it was about making sure that every you know every issue is somebody's first and every issue should be in standing in its own right and whilst i can see there are certain things that need to be done in the present day that might be described as writing for the trade which mm-hmm. which which uh which which does streamline things a bit otherwise you do get what you were talking about which is that an unnecessary repetition of material um nevertheless i think i think it's gone it's it's too often gone the other way people write for the trade uh, and you pick up an issue and you've no idea what's going on uh, because it's simply the next 22 pages of the story. Um, so I've always been uh, uh, sort of quaintly old school and very old fashioned in my in my issue structure is that I want each issue to stand as a thing. Uh, so you can read it on its own and you might not understand all of it, but you read it on its own. And it's got a story that is coherent uh, within itself. And and that's, that to me is, is, is the pleasure of comics. I still try and read my comics even even under lockdown situations, try and try and try and obtain them from my local comic shop, so that I can have that, as it were, monthly fix. What's the right. latest episode going to be? And that, there is a, there is an immense pleasure in that, even if they are stories that I enjoy so much that I end up buying the trade and reading again in collection form. And indeed, many of the comics that I read when I was a kid, I have in trade form because it's the easiest way of getting them and and and, and read through them. But I still love that idea of um, uh, of the episode. I would compare it very much to. Uh, to the beautiful structuring of, 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 of modern television drama, where each each each, each episode of a, I don't know a Netflix original or something like that is, is is superbly crafted in its own arc shape and has its own themes within an episode. Even if you sit down one evening and binge watch the whole box set, <laughs> you're still aware of the individual perfection of the episodes, even though you're adding together as in, in sort of cumulative long form enjoyment of the, the overall story. And I think comics can still do that and should still do that um, because as you said uh, you know it's everything is a jumping on point you, you never know when a copy of a comic is going to be sitting somewhere and somebody's going to pick it up and they've read it before mm-hmm. they read it and they go this is great i want to find some more of this because i enjoyed that and i want to want to read it uh, episodically I, I i i think there is a there is an enormous strength it is it is that long form strength that uh, that, that sustains you um, month by month, which is which is what comics to me are still all about, no matter what form you get them delivered to you as. Yeah, and and the cool thing about this world is that, like it, inherently, it's set up that way, right? So when when New Japan was still up in in space, you have these different compartments that kind of deal with a specific era of the human timeline. So yeah. you you literally can put the character in any spot because that's his natural habitat. Absolutely. And now they've all fallen to earth, but each of those different environments is sort of spilled out in different places. So we do get, well, you'd have seen from issue six and, you know, spoiler alert, but they were, they were encountering uh, uh, effectively the sort of the, the, the positronic Roman arena <laughs> uh, that is now literally an outpost of Rome in the middle of, of, of this world um, uh, that just happens to have sort of been seeded there artificially. The same goes with the dinosaurs. They're not just random dinosaurs because dinosaurs are cool. And let's face it, dinosaurs are cool. Yes. And used to put a dinosaur in a comic should be taken uh, immediately uh, and, and you don't really need an explanation for why there's a dinosaur in a comic either uh, no no comic has never not been improved by the inclusion of dinosaurs however <laughs> the fact that there is a rationale for those dinosaurs being there it's just great as far as yes. i'm concerned it's, it has gives it that sort of uh, that sort of random um that that, that it, it, the randomness of it is excused politely in the background by a sense of what the world is uh, and uh, I mean, just the idea, which is an entire possibility. I'm not saying this is going to happen, but the idea of Roman legionnaires, robotic Roman legionnaires, fighting dinosaurs, 
is the sort of thing that can happen in this world. And that, to me, is why I got up in the morning. <laughs> I don't blame you one bit. Um, <laughs> you, uh, you touched upon one of the central themes of, of all these stories, and that this book is kind of not just about Rye exploring what it is to be human, and, and I guess really maybe what Raijin might feel to be human, even though he's got no human elements. Yeah. Uh, but but he does seem like a more human character than Rai does. He does. Uh, because Rai, even though Rai wants to be human, it seems like he can't accept the fact that he's got that part of himself. And and I think that's a great trope to play with um, because you, it can take you a long way. But but one of the central themes has been like the impact of this place falling down to earth. And yeah. and you dealt a little bit with that in the, the two-issue arc that just finished, issue four and five. Uh, when they go to this new town, and the the woman that leads the place is basically like, we've been here for thousands of years. All of a sudden, like you know, New Japan fall from the sky, and you think uh, you own the place. Yeah. Um, and then the stuff with the geomancer talking about uh, detecting human signatures, and the soldiers are not detecting them, and uh, being able to deal with that kind of stuff. I, I love how much you're intertwining all these themes that are very central to sci-fi, uh, specifically futuristic sci-fi, mm. into into the story of just like learning what it's like to be human. Because none of those people really know anything about being human, right? They, they really they, don't. They're finally tossed into a place where they have freedom to, to do what they want, and many of them are still stuck in the old way of doing things. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I, it's a very obvious trope to play with. That is to say, the, you know, the sort of what is, it, what is it to be human if you are a machine or, 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 or at least in part a very advanced machine as, as Rai is, but he's, he's got a human half. You know, that, it's, 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 that's almost a cliche. And yeah. that's one of the reasons that I wanted to, I wanted to explore it because we couldn't avoid it because that's part of who he is. But at the same time, I, I wanted to defy the expectations of what that story would be like. So as you, as you point out, and it was deliberate, Rajin, who is just a machine, just a machine, uh, <laughs> is, is, and looks younger than Rai, but he's his older brother. And he's actually better at being human, or at least better at simulating humanity yeah. uh, than Rai is. And Rai is almost bad at it. He's almost clumsy at it, even though part of him is human. And I think that's to do with the tension between his two halves. He, is, he, he, he can't really be one thing or the other. He is a, he's a child of technology. Uh, but he's also a, a, an organic human being. He is—he's standing on that sort of uh, that line between those two communities, which have strong prejudices between them. Uh, quite apart from anything else, the, the, the history of New Japan and, and mm -hmm. father and all that has bred this. You know, there, there is the human hatred of positronics and the positronic wariness of humans, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And he's both, and and therefore also neither. Uh, and he's trying to straddle that line. And I think he wants very much to sort of let go and be human and, and kind of banish his artificial uh, self, except that it is the part of him that's absolutely necessary to carry out his function, right. which is to purge the world of father. Um, so he is, in other words, he is forcing himself to remain connected to his artificial technological side in order to rid the world of the threat of technology, which he, he is all too aware is is the, the most pernicious thing it can be facing because he's part of it. He's part of that threat. And I think that's the thing, again, I, let's not spoil it for readers who haven't got there yet, but that's one of the, the, the shocking things that he says at the end of issue five where you expect yes. him to say certain things and he actually goes, no, no, it's not. I've not, you know, sort of, he almost, he almost sort of um, uh, renounces his own nature 
Um, and, 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 and there's a sense that he's not bad at being human. He's just not letting himself be it yet because he needs the technology a little bit longer. And I think that's, uh, to me, that was a, that was a, that was a good way of wrong-footing um, all the characters around him and the reader uh, as to what this is about. It, it is, it is in some respects, a very simple story about the, the, the threat of uncontrolled and unmoderated um, technology. Uh, but obviously, it's also acknowledging the fact that we're nothing without technology, and it is an incredibly useful tool and an incredibly useful ally. And and once we've created certain things, like artificial, fully sentient life forms, can you just say, no, that's that's a bad thing, we must get rid of it? You know, there are, I suppose it throws up a lot of ethical questions, many of which there aren't easy answers for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a there's a really powerful line at the end of issue five uh, where he basically says something to the effect of um, like I need to learn to be human to be able to know how to die. Yeah, I, I love that line. I mean, it, it's it's amazing in the way that it's structured because even though we see that dichotomy with the character, you you don't know what he's feeling because he's so stoic throughout most of the yeah. run. Um, yeah. But but to get that sense of emotion, it's like yeah he 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 has that in him, he just can't accept it yet because it it kind of ruins the mission. Yeah. And and you you I mean you're tossing a lot of themes here that I really like. Um, you know one thing that I find really important in your run, and, and I think this is true of like really good sci-fi, is kind of giving the moral lesson without preaching the moral lesson. <laughs> and and I find that a, a very it's a it's a tough line to toe, right? It um, is because obviously, as people, we all have our belief systems, and sure. and as a writer, I'm sure it's easy to get lost in some of that when you deal with some of these themes and and place what you believe in in the story. And yeah. and one thing that you've managed to do here is I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of Dan Abnett here because <laughs> I I recognize Dan Abnett when I read this. But uh, but but not preaching to the audience, I think, is really important. Um, yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I, I, I would hate I would hate to deliver a book where the where the because as it were message in inverted commas was on the nose. I'd rather I'd rather miss the face completely and understand <laughs> than get it too on the nose. But at the same token, I think I think the one thing that, that that can be said sparingly yet definitively in the course of Rye is that the one ethical view of the world is Rye's. We don't hear it very often, but when we hear it, it is definitive. But that doesn't mean necessarily it's right. And that there are yeah. other people around him, like Rajin particularly, but there, were, there are other characters, Lula and, and others that we're going to meet as we go along, who who offer alternative ways of looking at things. And they also may not be right or wrong, but it allows us to hear the the, the arguments. It allows us to hear the different voices uh, 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 and, and maybe even may make Rai think of things in a, in a slightly different way. It, it comes down to that idea of... Um, you said there about him thinking about learning how to die, and it's about it's about the the you know life works through a process of death and renewal. That's how life advances. We want a continuity there, but it is through death and renewal. Whereas technology advances by development. Mm -hmm. It doesn't it doesn't doesn't like uh, it doesn't allow for death because death isn't necessarily an organic is an organic quality that it doesn't necessarily share. It may have obsolescence, but it doesn't doesn't necessarily die. It just continues and grows and gets better. And and he's sort of trying to he's trying to do both, and that doesn't work. Uh, so that that constant need for pro progress that technology tends to demand of itself is something that he perceives as being quite unnatural and needs to be curbed. I think he'd be much happier with technology if it learned if it learned how to die and renew and therefore sort of die back and come come back again in that sort of um, holistic seasonal 
uh, organic way. Um, uh, but 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 obviously, when you've got the likes of Bloodfather going around, that, that, that it is much more of a kind of um, you know, it's a, it's an agenda. It's a this is a directive. This is the thing we're going to do. We're not going to stop until it's done, and then we'll have another objective, and then we'll achieve that. So I, I think there's um, um, it is about different different personal philosophies. I hope they all get a decent voice without being didactic. But at the same time, it's also about a, it's about a, a, an awareness of different processes so that, so that you might have, I don't know, a technological process that is of itself not a bad thing. The bad thing is the way it's being done, mm-hmm. uh, you know, perhaps too accelerated or too ruthlessly or that kind of stuff. So, so there, there are, I don't know, maybe it's a book about gray areas. Maybe that's what it's all about. It's about, it's, it's, the whole thing is about gray areas and pointing those gray areas out. But uh, it, 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 they are fun things to explore. So you uh you already mentioned the Roman Legion that gets introduced in in issue six, yeah. um and there's uh there's a new character that pops up at the end of the issue. Uh, yes, I'm curious uh what her importance will be uh in the arc going forward and maybe in the story going forward. Uh, quite a lot actually. I mean, th- th- I was I was it's been a great book to write because a lot of it has been carefully planned. But some of it has been slightly improvised where I've done something and thought, oh, that's interesting. And, I, and I've grown it and it's then grown further than I thought it was going to be. So I, I don't want to say too much about that character. She's, 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 she's great. She's a mysterious character in this story. We learn a lot more about her in the next issue or so, uh, up to and including some, some things that will surprise the readers because, because there will be re- reveals about her. But she, she um, I think, uh, will provide another, another one of these sort of chorus of voices uh, around Rai, giving him a different take on that because she, um, and this isn't too much of a spoiler, but she is a human, but she is a human who has suffered at the hands of technology. So she is sort of the antithetical voice of, of, of Rajin uh, saying, you know, sort of technology can be a very, very bad thing. And I know cause I was there. Uh, and that, and that makes her, uh, it makes her a very useful voice to have in the book. She's, a, I think a very, very strong character anyway. But I think it also makes Rye think about things in a slightly different way because he feels perhaps unnecessarily protective of her. But because she suffered at the hands of technology, he, as a representative of technology, will not let her suffer again. Uh, mm. and, and therefore, he is. Uh, it sort of puts a personal element into into what has been a fairly clinical quest so far, which I think is uh, going to be a very cool thing to do. And there are. The, the, the arc that, that, that six begins, the, the the opening of this story. It's a big story. It's got some really cool things in it, um, and and some of the things attached to that new character are going to be, uh, I think, very big, surprising, delightful reveals for the reader. That there's some great twists coming. Um, partly because one of the other things that this this arc is doing is is uh, is in the same way that the first arc go went back and looked at introduced in, in terms of things like the Eternal Warrior some classic Valiant elements and said here they are in a futuristic setting. I'm going to be doing that again. I'm going to, I'm going to be sort of bringing a little bit more of the Valiant universe, recognizable Valiant universe into the story in ways that are, um, uh, not predictable. Uh, you're not necessarily <laughs> going to be able to see them coming and go, wait a minute. I didn't see, I didn't see that being the outcome of this. So, uh, so yeah, it, it, I, it's really fun. She, she's a character that I'm very fond of. So I know our, our time is running short. I had a, a couple more questions. Uh, Please go ahead. I, I don't know how what what the plan is for for the long term with this book. Uh, it's it seems very obvious to me that you're having a great time writing this book, and and judging from fan reaction, people are loving reading this book. Yeah. Uh, even people that don't normally read Valiant, uh, when I talk to them about Rye, they either know about it or reading it or 
are willing to pick it up, and and I think that's exciting. Um, yeah. But what's what's kind of your long term plan? Do you have, uh, you know, like a, a set, you know, twenty issue story that you want to tell, or is it just like let's see what happens? Uh, it's a little bit of both. As a professional writer, I have a I have story arcs plural planned. They have a meta arc. You know, I have I have I have a goal in mind. If you know, if if everything works according to plan and we retain an audience and people still want to read this book, I have you know a big a big a sequence of big stories interlocking big stories to tell that I would love to get a chance to tell. But those those also break break down compartmentally, so I can tell them in installments, and those will be satisfying of themselves. And if we need to stop, we need to stop. The thing is, you say long-term plans. No one's got long-term plans at the moment. That's true. (laughs) What's going to happen anything? I'm just delighted the books come back at all because obviously we downed tools and we stopped. Uh, And there was no no telling that there would be be, uh, another issue even though they were sitting there in the drawer waiting to be published. So the fact that coming back is so exciting. The fact that the audience is that excited is is really, really good. And and we will, you know, we have no idea what shape the market's going to be in in, Two months, three months, six months, or whatever like that. Mm-hmm. So we, I think, I think, um, as with the as with the best of sequential storytelling, periodical storytelling, uh, I'm trying to do uh, the best I can in in terms of measured, manageable bits, uh, uh, with a view to being able to think fast on my feet if needs be in order to do the next bit. So, 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 yes, in an ideal world, it's an epic. Uh, in in a realistic world, I can tell. If you like, I can tell the best bits so that you get a big, satisfying story, uh, even if, you know, we're finding that the you know comic sales are not supporting the books in the way that we want. But you mentioned the re- response. And can I just say thank you? Uh, <laughs> thank you to to the readership, which I know does indeed include an awful lot of people who, who haven't read Valiant before, because the response has been extraordinary. The I mean, just 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 um, it's very, very nice to get good reviews. Obviously, it is. Uh, and we've had some lovely, lovely reviews on the issues of Rye. But one of the things that, that has really struck me is that, is that they've been talking about it as not just a good book that you should read, but uh, sort of an essential read. This is a mm-hmm. book that should be, you should be, if you're reading comics at the moment, this is one of the books you should be reading. And that is an extremely exciting thing to have. It's an enormous sort of, uh, <clears throat> it's an, uh, well, great, great power comes great responsibility. You know, you've got to deliver on that. But I, 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 that, 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 that sort of, that, particular very subtle shift between between we really like this book so we really think this is a, is one of your essential pulls is is a very very exciting thing to have uh, and, I, and i think um um i think we want to try and honor that and, and deliver the best possible story in my modest opinion i think the story's okay uh, if i was a reader <laughs> i'd be buying the book every month for the art alone oh so, yeah that, that, that's fine, but but if we if we're managing to combine art and story in a way that makes it a book that uh, that sort of people feel is a must read, then uh, then that's uh, that's a uh, that's a great a great thing, and I love the response that we've had from it. Yeah, I agree. Um, this is something that you probably can't really speak to, obviously, but uh, with the number of characters that you're you're dealing with here, uh, one of the interactions that I really enjoyed was the interaction between uh, Gilad and the Geomancer. Yeah, uh, I think it's a, a relationship that hasn't been really explored very well in the universe and yeah. and i'm curious if you've ever had a conversation with editorial where you're like hey maybe we should tell this story in a separate book uh the, this kind of section of the universe lends itself to that so 
Speak to that well, a little bit if you could. Yeah, well, I, I, yeah, to to a certain extent. The thing the thing is that 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 all we're inventing new characters for this this valiant future, but there are also characters who 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 would be there and could be included. And I found so far, even in the issues that I've written, that I have more character potential characters to use than I've got room for, and I've got to be really. <laughs> there are a couple of characters that I've longed to use. Uh, because it would make sense for them to show up that I just haven't had the space for, and therefore I've gone well. I'll just I'll put them to one side for now. I'll save them for the moment where we can actually do justice to their inclusion. Um, so again, if we were talking about you know sort of the comic industry in its in its in its peak of health and and and, and sales numbers, then I'm sure Valiant would be looking to the idea of, of there being Rye being one of a number of books set in its future, and we could have other companion books that explores other aspects and other other characters. Uh, Gilad and the Geomancer being one of them, and, and you know, there's some other obvious picks. I mean, uh, I, 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 in writing Fallen World, the book that, that Rai came out mm-hmm. of, I really writing War Mother, for instance. I think she's a great character who should be in this. She oh, should yeah. be, and we should be seeing her. Uh, but uh, there just hasn't been room yet. So there are these characters that would be would be really really good to look at. So yes, if um, uh, let's hope that that the X number of months of people being stuck in the houses reading to entertain themselves has built a huge hungry furnace of desire for the comic book market and the people are now flocking out and buying comics like they've never bought them before and that can support companies like like valiant actually creating little ranges you know so that so that it's rye and two or three other books maybe that uh, that, that, that explore this future it like i said it, it, it is simply market forces that determine these things i think the creativity i mean some of the brainstorming conversations I have with uh, with Lisa and the, and, the, and the people at Valium. It's like there are so many things we could do <laughs> yeah. uh, that we just simply can't. So what we're trying to do, I suppose, is cherry pick and do to the best or the ones that make sense to do now because they they form a, a cohesive story that, that that is worth telling. Very good. I, I want to thank you for your time, Dan. It's it's been a, a real honor and a pleasure and almost a dream come true talking to you. <laughs> you're 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 very easy to talk to as well, so that helps a lot. Um, and you've got a lot of stuff going on. I actually just finished reading uh, Horus Heresy, your Warhammer stuff. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm not a Warhammer player, but I, I love just fantasy and sci-fi, and I loved it. I actually have um, – oh, God, the uh, Lords of – oh, God, the, the short story collection coming in soon. Oh, Lords of the Dark, I think it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I'm excited to, to dive into that. Uh, any final words? I write, these write these things in parallel. I'm, I'm, you know, I've always got a novel on the go when I'm writing comics. So I'm actually in lockdown, just delivered my latest Warhammer novel, and I think I think just this week the the new one, the, which is which is a Siege of Terror, which is the end of the Horus Heresy novel, the Saturnine, which is the longest thing I've ever written, 140,000 words, comes out in uh, comes out for sale, and I, I know that's causing a huge stir. So it's, it's <laughs> I, 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 I do like the ability to uh, creatively in the course of my working day to move between one. Uh, fictional universe and another because I think if you stay somewhere too long you can get um, not bored but you can get uh, complacent complacent uh, yeah. a hop from 40k to, to the future of Valiant to 2000 AD or whatever in the course of a week is it keeps me fresh keeps me on my toes and, and sort of um, and, and keeps the creativity flowing so I well thank, thank you for reading yeah no absolutely thank, thank you again for your time Dan and uh, continue success thank you very much indeed nice talking to you And that will wrap up this episode of the Valiant Central Podcast. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the chat as much as I enjoyed having it. It really was a dream come true. So thanks again to Greg. I've been uh, been reading Dan Abnett's stuff since I was a wee bit lad, folks. I'm sure uh, if you've been around for a while, you will understand the sentiment. 
and uh, the book's fantastic, so I hope that it continues forever. If you want to get in touch with us, you can, of course, find me at Geekvine. You can find Travis at The Great Magnet. Duan is at Collect Valiant, and the podcast is at Valiant underscore Central. Thank you for listening. We will see you on the next one.